Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. So uh, as Viz said, my name's James. I've been coming here since um, probably November last year. I'm really bad at maths, so whatever the amount of months is, you can kind of do the maths on that one. Um, but I thought just that obviously when uh, someone comes up to talk, you don't necessarily know that much about them. So a little fun fact um, about me. Um, I, I grew up in a town called Basingstoke. Anyone heard of Basingstoke? <laughs> Thank you, thank you. That's great. Represent. Um, I was actually at one point um, Basingstoke's under-14s gymnastics champion. Thank you. Um, my uh, my floor routine included a teddy bear roll. Um, I uh, used the vault, and actually the competition was the first time I'd ever used this vault. So I ran down the runway with so much gusto. Um, there was one thing I forgot to do which was jump, um, so I smacked into the vault. The woman laugh, uh, judging burst out laughing. She had to get off her chair, her judging chair, to show me how to actually use the vault. Um, and uh, I got one of the worst scores of the day. My brother was um, in a different kind of competition and uh, actually got higher than me and came 10th in his uh, category. So how then did I become Basing Soaks under 14's gymnastics champion? Well, I was the only one in the competition. Um, <laughs> But it is, thank you, it is, it is to date my proudest sporting achievement. Um, so um, that's just a bit about me. But as Viv said, if you are here, if this is your um, first time or you've missed a few weeks, we are starting a new series called Summer in the Psalms. And over the summer months, we will be looking at different psalms that have impacted the people speaking. Um, and it was kind of convenient on preparation for um, this talk because I've actually been having a phrase, a, bib- a biblical passage, going round and round and round my head that just so happened to be from the Psalms. So thank you, Jesus. You were already preparing that one. Um, winner, winner. Um, but I want to keep you uh, on your toes. So we're going to jump straight uh, in this morning. And our verse or passage, if you're taking notes uh, for this morning, is Psalm 23. Uh, Psalm 23, and it says this, uh, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, Now, in a way, I must admit, I'm going to be real here. Part of me really dislikes this psalm because if it was a steak, it would certainly be well done. Um, Because if you have been around church for a while or if you're new to church, you probably would have heard this psalm before in some form of format. You probably would have heard messages around rest and God's care and comfort during hard times. And those are all flavors that can be drawn out of this passage But this morning, I hope to draw out an additional flavor that I think gets overlooked, and that's the flavor of God's radical hospitality. 
Um, now, what we do see within this passage is God is painted as a shepherd with care for his sheep. And this is both a passive care as uh, kind of he leads us by green pastures and still waters, but it's also a courageous care as he defends us as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And I have to admit that sometimes I do pray in my prayer time with, the, with Jesus that he would lie me, lead me by still waters, you know, maybe in Tenerife. Um, but that has yet to happen. Um, still praying for that one, Jesus. Um, but um, some, we, go, we go and we read that. But then we get to this bit. Um, after all of that, the valley of the shadow of death and the, the still waters. And then we get to this bit where God is hosting us in the presence of our enemies. And it can sometimes feel, when I was reading this, that I'm almost reading two different psalms. We get to this bit where he's hosting us in the presence of our enemies. There's cups, there's oil. Um, and it feels there's almost those two different psalms. And after I was reading around this passage, I came across the message version. And the message version puts it like this. You serve a six-course dinner for me right in front of my enemies. You revive my drooping head. My cup brims with blessing. And I mean, that sounds great. Because, um, I mean, if someone was to tick me off, one of the things I would love to do is eat like a bargain bucket right in front of them. Like, that sounds absolutely wonderful. Um, and it does draw out God's generosity. But I think what we're missing um, is when we take this out of its ancient Near Eastern context, is we miss some of those additional flavors and richness that I believe this verse provides. Um, now, we have to understand that hospitality in the ancient Near East was a massive part of life. We tend to see hospitality as meals with friends. However, hospitality was an intrinsic part of ancient Near Eastern culture. In an article by Northwestern University, they define hospitality as, um, hospitality is a voluntary offering and provision of food and drink to persons outside of one's immediate household, usually in the social context of a common meal, which is governed by explicit and implicit standards of conduct. The host is the person responsible for the offer and provision of hospitality, and the guest is its recipient. Ancient Near Eastern society valued highly the concept of hosting, and it focused mainly around food. However, you can see here from this definition that there is this attached standard of conduct that kind of runs alongside it. So much so, bad hospitality was seen as an aggressive statement against the person that was being hosted. Hospitality extended past the meal. There were additional parts of having a guest. You had to make sure that if someone was your guest, nothing bad was to happen to them under your care. And we see that within other places within Scripture. There's a story about this guy called Lot who hosts and keeps these angels safe against the gangs of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Rahab keeps the spies safe. She hosts the spies as they scout out Jericho. And God looks favorably upon these characters within the Scriptures. But what then, so if that's the biblical kind of context, can we see this from um, outside of the kind of biblical narrative? And I must mean I nerded out a little bit here. I fell down a bit of a rabbit hole in my research. So um, at the time, so in this biblical picture, there was this massive war going on between the Egyptians and the Hittites. And we read about those two different nations within the Bible. They had like major beef. It was like a 15-year-old, 15-year war going on. Um, and what they did is they decided that they were going to make a peace treaty. And it's the oldest peace treaty that still lasts. It's still a, kind of the oldest peace treaty we can see um, today. And what, how they did that is they sent envoys to one another's nations. And when they received the nation, uh, received the envoys, they received them with parties, ceremonies, and banquets. 
And so the earliest peace treaty to kind of ever be formed that we still have kind of um, sort of evidence of was formed in the presence of a banquet. And so therefore, if we read this verse outside of its context, it can seem like we're arrogantly feasting in front of our enemies. However, what I believe that God wants to say through this scripture is in his setting the table, he's inviting us into a place of reconciliation with our enemies. And God is a good host. He doesn't just bring reconciliation to our, um, with our enemies, but um, he restores our relationship with ourselves through the providing of the space to rest and appreciate creation that we read about in the earlier part of this psalm. So that's a picture of God as a host, but what does it look like to, for God to be a dinner guest? And I was reminded when I was reading um, this particular uh, psalm of a time where Jesus attended a meal, and he attended this meal. Uh, it's recorded in Luke 7. And, uh, and one of the Pharisees at the time invites Jesus to, uh, to come for dinner. I mean, I can't think of a better dinner guest hosting God in human form for dinner. I mean, it would be the perfect opportunity, you would think, to try out a bit of that ancient Near Eastern hospitality. Um, however, this doesn't happen. We read that a woman who was of lower status um, comes in and, uh, the, uh, and she anoints Jesus' feet. She kisses his feet. She puts perfume on his feet. Um, and the Pharisee then tries to go, well, what is this woman doing here? What's she doing in this house? She's not even invited here. Um, and Jesus gives a bit of a slam down in the way that only Jesus can. Um, and he says in verse 45, you gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. The Pharisee that had invited Jesus had broken one of the most intrinsic parts of society. And not only that, but a woman who is deemed of lesser status, um, who is deemed to be a sinner, has upstaged him, and she's gone the extra mile. I mean, kind of take that patriarchy. Um, but in the process of her extravagant hospitality, she had been reconciled with her relationship with God. Her sins were forgiven. So why then does Jesus make this big point about the oil? I mean, he, we read about it in the psalm, and Jesus explicitly says to the Pharisee, you have not anointed my head with oil. Um, well, the Jewish encyclopedia says that oil in the Old Testament was used as a sign of honor, joy, and favor, and it was to be withheld in times of disgrace, mourning, and disfavor. The woman didn't bring oil, a sign of her own shame and disgrace, but she still bought an extravagant gift. In us taking up uh, God on his offer, his invitation to attend the meal, in us bringing our own extravagant, all-giving gifts, he takes those and anoints our head with oil and says that we are no longer disgraced. But I love the fact that the Psalms picture doesn't stop there. After God declares that we are no longer disgraced, he's then, we're then told that our cup overflows. What a sign of a generous host that we may celebrate in no longer being disgraced and, be, by be, and being in favor with God by drinking deep of his generosity in a, in, of his more than enough provision for us in that space. You see, throughout the scriptures, we see pictures of how radically ordinary hospitality has the power to change environments. 
We read in Luke that the two disciples are on the road to Emmaus. They're walking with Jesus, but it says within the scriptures that Jesus is uh, in disguise. And I always like to imagine Jesus having like this fake tash on, like in those glasses that you see. Um, and he's walking in disguise, disguise with these two disciples. And they invite him in. They practice radically ordinary hospitality. And it's in that place that Jesus takes off the proverbial fake tash and glasses, um, and he reveals himself to them. It is around the table that they saw the risen Jesus. We also read in the early Christian community that hospitality was very much a practice of how they did life. One of my favorite passages of how to build community um, is in Acts 2, 42 to 47. And it says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any who had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I love this as a picture of hospitality being a key part of the early church. Believers coming together, eating with one another and celebrating Christ at the same time. But not only this, but as a response to how the community lived, daily, daily people being added to their number, those who were being saved. Christians were having dinner parties and people were coming to know Christ. It's not obvious who was necessarily attending these parties, but, it, uh, but we, the New Testament has a lot to say about hospitality. And we can safely assume that people who didn't know Jesus were there and were so struck by the generosity of how Christians treated one another that they came to know Jesus. And that generosity, as we've seen earlier, is an outworking of a generous God who anoints our head with oil, declares we are no longer disgraced, and who allows our cup to overflow. This extended past the early Christian community in Acts, but as the church grew and developed over the years, hospitality was a key part of Christians' DNA. Um, the Emperor Trajan, uh, the, um, in his letter to the Emperor Trajan, Pliny the Younger, who was someone who was running trials for Christians, trying to find out who these Christians were so that they could um, be kind of put to death by the Roman um, Empire, says that actually he had come into contact with numerous communities of Christians he was investigating. And all they did was they come together and partake in ordinary and innocent food. That actually... This hospitality has been part of our spiritual DNA as Christians, stemming right back to the Jewish traditions within the ancient Near Eastern culture. How then should we practice hospitality? Well, I have the privilege of leading a small group as part of this church with the amazing Maria. And this time we've been looking at different spiritual disciplines, different rhythms that can help our relationship with God. And as one of those weeks, we looked at hospitality as a spiritual discipline. And I want to extend to you that this should be part of our rhythm as a community. Firstly, as an extension and expression of our faith. Now, if you know me, I love throwing a dinner party. Um, hosting is actually one of my favorite things to do. Um, I love having people around for dinner. So I, I declare an open invite to anyone this morning. If you want to come around for dinner... You are more than welcome. Um, and I love the picture of the gospel being an extending table and an open door. 
However, if we're to practice hospitality in its truest form, it's not just the meeting of friends from this space, but it's the welcoming of the stranger. Henry Nguyen puts it like this. Hospitality means the primary creation of free space where the stranger can enter and become a friend instead of an enemy. Hospitality is not to change people, but to offer them a space where change can take place. It is not to bring men and women over to our side, but to offer them freedom, not disturbed by dividing lines. Am I saying that we should run around the streets of Balaam and scoop up random strangers and take them around to our house for dinner? Not necessarily, though you are more than welcome to try. Um, although hospitality should be the creation of a space where the stranger can become a friend, where someone we don't know well, maybe a neighbor, maybe a work colleague, maybe a member of our sports club, whoever that might be, someone we don't know well, um, just only on the surface, someone that we want to go deeper with, whoever that person might be, the table provides a space for us to journey deeper with them. The table gives us a place for story, for a group of people to share vulnerably about part of their life. I love that Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, for we came to share not just the gospel, but our lives as well. The table is a space for us to share our lives with people that we, we know well and with people we don't know well yet. Um, I love being a bit of a friend matchmaker. Um, I run um, a poetry community in Balham and Cheeky Plug. Um, I'm running one today, two till four, my flat. Um, <laughs> And as part of that, I've gotten to know um, people well, and actually I've invited them around for dinner um, and games. There was this one time where I'd invited them around, and I kind of also invited some Christians around for dinner. It was a bit of a mixing pot of um, friendships. Um, and I love that actually the moment we came around the table, the moment we came around the table, there was vulnerability there. We shared stories. Um, and actually at the end of the night, numbers were exchanged for those conversations to continue. And in that place of vulnerability, not only were we able to share part of our lives, but also part of the gospel. And there is this idea, though, that we can't, there's an aspect of hospitality that we can't ignore. And it mentions in the, this in the Psalms, and no one touches on it. And it's this idea of having our enemy around the table. And I wonder whether or not I can speak a little bit prophetically here. Um, I don't know about you, but recently I've been almost getting a bit of anger fatigue, um, and uh, it's been mostly fueled by social media. I've been kind of on social media, and people have been posting stuff, and it's been getting me really angry to the point that I had a bit of a social media fast because I was like, not about that life anymore. Um, but um, I think that actually as, we're, as a society, we are becoming more and more divided as time goes on. We've formed camps, and our views are becoming more and more entrenched. And as we have grown further apart, we decide we're going to attack the other camps of those people that think differently to us. Whether it's leave or remain, our views on immigration, racism and privilege, sexism and the gender pay gap, the idea of equal marriage, whatever it is, our society has become like social media, posting controversial things rather than having a discussion. We bulldoze our views and pose it as right. And as the church, we're not leading the way in how to have genuine discussion. Instead, in, as it says in Hebrews, being hospitable to everyone as some have attended angels unawares. We've cast the divine presence out because we, they think differently to us. We have placed rebuke above invitation. You see, we miss the fact that God hosts us with our enemies. We are around the table with those who think differently to us. 
We talk about iron sharpening iron, yet iron can only sharpen iron in proximity. If we remove the proximity, we just throw daggers. It is our proximity that we recognize one another's humanity. When we come close to one another, we can recognize and call out the divine spark that the Father has placed within each and every one of us. Tess Ward writes this, Sometimes I wonder if hospitality might be the prophetic gift of our time, welcoming the other over the threshold and daring to walk over theirs, only to realize, as Maya Angelos once said when describing what her work was about, human beings are more alike than unalike. However, it's in that moment of proximity, we have to also be prepared that when we come close to people who think differently to us, that as iron sharpens iron, we might be sharpened too. And as we, that as we come together to the table, we must always come in a posture of humility, that God might be using the difference of our enemies to bring about our own personal reconciliation. Now, that idea might bring about some emotional reactions, maybe hurt, maybe anger, maybe repulsion or reluctance. And if that is the case, as we go into ministry time, I want you to invite you to invite the Holy Spirit into those emotions and to ask God why you are experiencing them. It might be the fact that actually for some of us here today, the idea of coming around the table with our enemies, it actually brings up an emotion that is linked to the fact that we might be carrying unforgiveness. And that maybe the invitation this morning is to come to the table, to the God who is a generous host, and release some of that unforgiveness we have been carrying. But also... We have to be okay with seeking forgiveness where we might have called someone else hurt, either intentionally or unknowingly, as we recognize through the sharing of story that we've held views, maybe said things that have caused real wounds um, to others. And we, in humility, we have to also seek forgiveness. Um, I just want to invite the band up um, just before we go into ministry time. Um, and as I was preparing uh, this message, I also felt like there might be some people here that for you, um, this whole idea of inviting the enemy around the table, if you had to choose who the enemy was, you might think it was yourself. That for some of us here, we are carrying shame, and the person you fear coming around the table with most is, is yourself. Maybe something you've done wrong, whatever that might be. And that's what I love about this psalm. God is a generous host. And the invitation is always open for him to anoint our head with oil and our cup to be overflowing. That invitation has no caveats. It is not, well, if I've done this, then I can't come and feast. No, the, the invitation is always come to the table to come and be with the generous host, to come and sit at the table and take up that host on his offer, to let joy replace shame, to come and feast in the presence of the king. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to just create some space now for us to feast in the presence of the king. And there are a couple of things uh, that I kind of landed on there about this whole idea of, of reconciliation. And reconciliation is always preceded by forgiveness. We can't be reconciled to someone if we're still harboring onto that kind of unforgiveness. And so I want to invite you this morning that actually if you've had, I suppose, a, like there's been a tug in your heart, there's something going on, you're having like an emotional reaction. Like, if you're like me, I'm quite an emotional individual. Um, and I have an emotional reaction. My Lord, why am I feeling this emotion? Um, like that is maybe a question that you might want to ask God if that's you in that space 
um, this morning. But why don't we just take a minute before we pray for people just to just um, kind of feast in the presence of the king, to dwell in his presence, to seek his generosity. His presence is here and he has more than enough, more than we need. So why don't we take a moment now just before we pray for people, which we will do. We love to pray for people. Um, Just take a minute to bask in God's goodness, to feast uh, in the presence of the king. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.